0: Darker Days of Dorothy Gale Aftermath for episode 39, chapters 33, Simon Magus, and canto 19 of Dante's Inferno The Simoniacs. Hello, hello, hello. Here we are again. Reaching deep into the inferno. This week, we have nepotism and burning popes. I've had a little bit of a cold recently, so if some of the uh, voice work or audio sounds a little bit off or congested, I apologize. This intro and the outro of this episode were actually recorded after I got over my cold, so there may be a slight difference in my voice between now and, I guess, later, however however you want to put it. Anyways, let's go down, down together, to a place known as Malibulch. Simony, according to Merriam-Webster is the buying or selling of a church office or ecclesiastical preferment. It's also the sin located and punished in the third ditch of Malibu, in Dante's Inferno. This, of course, is still the eighth circle. Remember, Dante likes to compartmentalize and organize. It's not enough to have nine circles— some of them require a little extra sorting. Violence was too broad a word. It had to be sorted into three parts. Malibulge is similar, only it has to be sorted into even more parts. The term fraud, I guess, is just a little too vague. Turns out it requires a little extra attention to be paid to the finer details. Dante uses the 19th canto to show us the seriousness of the corruption within the church, exposing the immoral actions of those who often judge morality. This is a problem not just because of the hypocrisy it encompasses, but for its spiritual degradation and its effects on politics. I mentioned hypocrisy, but... That's not the sin on trial here. We'll meet the hypocrites soon enough. Dante and Virgil traverse this new landscape, noticing the sinners here are all shoved head first into baptismal fonts. Legs with burning feet are sticking out of each of them. Here we see once again that no one is above the law when it comes to the Lord's justice. Dante approaches one of the sinners here and finds Pope Nicholas III. Pope Nicky mistakes the traveler for his successor to the papacy, Boniface VIII. Pope Nicholas was originally named Giovanni Gaetano Orsini. Again, names, you know, probably not pronounced right. Let's move on. Anyways, uh, this guy, he was born around 1225, and held office from 1277 until his death in 1280. In his life, he had a rich career within the church, made cardinal by 1244 under the reign of Pope Innocent, and became a protector of the Franciscans in 1261 by the order of Pope Urban the Fourth. According to HistoryCollection.com, Nicholas III did enrich himself and his offices through the sale of positions within the church hierarchy, though he did so mostly to members of his own family, creating a deserved reputation for nepotism. He also built a villa for himself and succeeding popes near Viterbo, To erect the villa, which served as his summer residence, Nicholas provided the funds to his nephew in order to avoid the appearance of impropriety. Nicholas appointed no less than five of his nephews as cardinals of the church, as well as a brother. So, there you have it, old Pope Nicky. All about the favors, and the family, I guess. You know, I grew up Catholic. Did all the Catholic stuff, baptized, confession, communion, confirmation. Even had a Catholic wedding, which required several hoops to be jumped through. My wife and I literally had to meet with a priest who gave us questionnaires, and then sent us to different rooms to fill them out so we couldn't cheat off each other. Then we had to go to a Catholic couples retreat that could easily be parodied by Christopher Guest and the cast of A Mighty Wind. Anyways, these days I'm not particularly spiritual, more agnostic than anything. I'm not a full-blown atheist. I don't have that kind of arrogance to claim to be certain of the origins of our existence. And for the same reason, I have a hard time subscribing to any one religious belief. I'm just not that confident either way. Despite my casting of Joseph Smith in the role of the great and terrible Wizard of Oz, I'm not here to slander or mock anyone's beliefs or lack thereof. And though I've been known to be critical of the Catholic Church, especially in the years since the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report in 2018. And I know the Boston Globe and Spotlight team, you know, did their thing back in 2002. But that was a time when current events weren't exactly on my radar. And Anyway, that's not the point. I, I'm not even sure what the point is anymore. The, believe what you want. Don't believe what you don't want. Just don't be afraid to hold your leaders, in faith or otherwise, accountable. I've never gotten the sense that Dante set out to burn down the Catholic religion with the Inferno. Quite the opposite, really. He had a deeply rooted and vastly unshakable faith, even when he saw the clear flaws in its leadership. There was a time when I couldn't imagine such a thing, back in my religious days, mainly my childhood. I always thought priests were good, the Pope infallible, and everyone in between must have been some sort of pious and moral figure to be admired. I couldn't see how a person could be so critical of the church leaders and still believe so strongly in the system. If someone told me in the fourth grade that some guy once wrote a poem in which popes were burning in hell, I would have thought he was a heretic. I wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't be able to wrap my mind around such a contradiction. And up until recently, as in recent years, I could hardly wrap my mind around it the other way. How could someone believe so strongly in something that operates on a foundation of hypocrisy and secrecy. But I get it now. Dante shows us that faith is more than messengers and leaders. These days, now that I'm no longer a fourth grader, and instead a man nearing his forties, I see this logic playing out in ways not even tied to religion. I'm not going to get political, I promise, but I see this problem in America. I'm sure other countries around the world see it too, really. We all believe in the core values of our country, our rights, our freedoms. Yet we constantly hate half the people running it. The red team hates the blue team, the blue team hates the red team, and somewhere in the middle... There's a purple team that wants to scream hypocrisy and point out all the flaws, while the reds and blues call them crazy outliers. Regardless of what corruption flows through the leadership, though, we still believe in the foundation. Even if it was founded on similar corruption and bloodshed, I doubt anything I'm saying here is making any sense at this point, and I've long left the relevancy of Dante and his writings behind. So let's come back to the world of the Inferno for just a moment before moving on to darker days. It is explained that each sinner's time in the fonts, in a way, is limited. When Boniface dies, he will be used to push Nicholas down further into the well. And when Bonnie's successor dies, he will be replaced and forced deeper into the font himself. That's not to say all popes are corrupt, or destined to be corrupt. Just that a lot of these early ones, you know, were... Honestly, this history lesson has been an eye-opening experience for me. The naivety of my youth that continues to permeate my adult mind is mind-boggling, or something to that effect. Anyway, the punishment is meant to represent how their corruption tarnished the offices they held. The idea that they would be replaced in the font by their successor is also representative of the way they were replaced and succeeded in life. Many translators and scholars, and just generally people with more knowledge on the subject than me, often claim the oil on their burning feet is likely that of the last rites. I'm sure there's a rabbit hole to go down for that as well. I'm not sure what all the last rites consisted of at the time, I don't really even know what they consist of today, if I'm being honest. I didn't realize oils were involved. I mean, I've seen movies where priests give the last rites to people with nothing, like they get hit by a car and then the priest shows up and he's like, Oh no, here's your last rites. Uh. Anyways, I digress. So let's move on. And also, I realize, I realize that movies. Not the best place to, not always the best place to get your, uh, you know, religious facts. Okay, So, so now let's move on. In Darker Days, we meet Simon Magus. Simon Magus was referenced in The Inferno, though you wouldn't know it based on all that rambling I just did. I'll give a quick rundown of who he was and why he's there and why he's here. Simon lived in the first century A.D., known for his practices of the magical arts. Sometimes he was even referred to as Simon the Sorcerer. Ooh, magical. He appears in the Bible through a confrontation with Peter. The story goes that Peter and his pals show up in Samaria where Simon's chilling out, And they start performing miracles and converting people through that righteously divine power of the Holy Spirit. You know, like apostles do. Anyway, Sir Magus of Simon decided that he wanted in on that action. Offered old Petey a little bit of cash in return for some of that sweet, sweet spirit. Peter kindly told him to get bent, and thus, the word simony. And, of course, the act of Simony was born. In Darker Days, we meet Simon Magus. Same name, not necessarily the same person. The tale of Simon in Darker Days is also one that fills in a significant gap in the timeline. It grants us a look into the history of the stranger. And it gives us insight into the events shortly after the events of the first book. The stranger shows up, kind of like Peter and begins preaching and telling everyone change is coming. He's not performing miracles, but instead telling everyone of the lies the wizard had been peddling for so long. Simon's not buying this and confronts the stranger and his potential lies. The two go back and forth, but Simon eventually relents when the stranger presents a bloodied cloth and a pair of the green spectacles. From here, we see the stranger beginning to amass his following. Simon, following closely behind as one of his earliest converts. As years pass, however, Simon becomes bitter. Comes to the realization that the stranger is nothing more than a con man. No different than the fraudulent wizard he was so eager to reveal. In fact, this guy might even be worse. Simon sees the cult and its leader for what it and he is, and it doesn't seem to really bother him. No, what gets his goat is that he consistently gets passed up for a promotion, a raise in the hierarchy. He's been there longer than most. He's been more dedicated than most. Even when he's pulled back the curtain and seen what's there, he's still loyal. Yet his loyalty continues to go unrewarded. With scrambled eggs all over his face, what is a boy to do? Buy your way to the top. That's what a boy is to do. Simon steals from the stranger and attempts to buy the favor of others in power. Of course, this plan goes terribly awry, as you might imagine, Also, note the reference to Boniface in this chapter. Again, same name, not necessarily the Pope. This entire chapter was a conscious decision to focus on what simony is. How it begins. How it breeds. How it permeates the human psyche. And it also bridges a gap between dark days and darker days at the same time. But the main focus is to demonstrate the act of the sin. The reaction from the stranger is strong. Like Dante, the stranger feels that this is one of the worst things a person can do. It's unforgivable. The Dantean imagery isn't 100% lost here, though I've changed it to better fit my own version of the story. Instead of his legs sticking out of a baptismal font and his feet covered in burning oil, Simon is dropped headfirst into the well. Oil is poured down, and the entire thing is lit up. I suppose there's a little bit to be said about the lion here as well. Not much, but a little. The lion is a beast, best not messed with here. He is easily the most malleable character in all the Dark Dorothy Gale saga. He's a villain when I want him to be, a hero when I need him to be, and always loyal to his master, whoever that might be. I'm not so sure I'd say he's evil, though he occasionally follows evil characters and does bad things. No, I like to think he's more complex than I let on. If I missed anything or failed to address something you feel I should have or goofed on my summary of Dante's Inferno, which is always a possibility, as we all know, let me know. I'm always open to questions, comments, or constructive criticism. You don't have to like the show. Not sure why you're listening if you don't. But like it or not, you can be nice. I know you can. You know how I know? Because you're good enough, you're smart enough, and gosh darn it, somebody somewhere probably likes you. Anyway, quick rundown of the ways you can get in touch with me is dark days of Dorothy Gale at Outlook.com at dark Dorothy G on Twitter and TikTok. Alternately, you can find me on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram, under the handle at the Ordinary Sun. That's S-U-N. And of course, if social media isn't your jam, if you're just tired of it, there's always the official Dark Days website. That's D G dot. You can also find links to t-shirts and stickers and stuff there as well. Darker Days of Dorothy Gale used to be on Amazon as an e-book and in paperback form, but at the time of this recording, podcast is the only way to experience it. If you'd like to support the show, buying a t-shirt or a sticker or something really is the coolest way to go about it. And if you would like to support my specific brand of creativity in a more direct and financial way, you can find me at buymeacoffee.com slash ordinary sun. That's, again, S-U-N. If you do, I will send you a personal, handwritten thank you note. Complete with a fun little sketch. I'll even give you a shout-out on this wildly obscure show, if you want me to, that is. And if you don't want to donate to this cause, that is okay. Honestly, I'm happy to do this either way. So, come back next time for Chapter 34, The Lair of the Diviners. You're not going to want to miss it. It's full of spooky atmosphere and strange voice work. Thanks for listening. I love you all.